All right, all right, all right. We're doing another wheel spin. All right, here we go. We're going to spin it. 1993. Okay, 1993. I'm always happy when it's not the 80s. Yeah, well, there's. I think there's like only two 80s left, so... It's gonna be '90s, I think. From now, on. we're gonna we're gonna do our um, our topic now. Technology. Ooh, we haven't done too much tech stuff, so that's cool. Actually, wow. that's cool because it's a little different, right? And then uh, we're gonna see what kind of a uh, segment we're gonna do now. Here we go. Ready? List of four. List of four. Okay. So that'll we'll do some research and we'll 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 see everybody in the future. Ready? See you in the future. Now we're back. In the future. In the future. But it's only one day. It's usually like it's one or two weeks, and we're like, what the hell are we talking <laughs> I know, about? I bro? think this is like the quickest time travel episode we've done. Yeah, where we just like went to bed and woke up and and then we're in the future. And we did a decent amount of research on these, which is kind of important for a day. For a day. Shows you how much, like, shows you about how how our social lives are going. <laughs> hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, man, I just uh, researched four uh, technologies that debuted in 1993. How about you, baby? <laughs> yeah. Recorded a podcast, <laughs> went to bed, got up, did my research, recorded another podcast. Yeah, baby. If you heard Jamie there, it's 1993, four technology items. So we each are revealing four Items of technology that came from 1993. The 90s, the early, I'm glad it wasn't like the 80s because the early 90s was the huge shift between like low tech and high tech, at least in, in, and I really believe that. I mean, you had the, you had a huge shift in technology in the early 90s that really separated the 80s from the 90s. So I think 1993 is a good year because probably every year in the 90s, starting in around 91, you had new technologies coming out that were pretty wicked. And we're talking about 93. So you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So this isn't, this has to do with technology, even though it's not a piece of technology, but a Wired Magazine debuted that year. On January 2nd, 1993, um, it debuted in the Macworld Conference. And nowadays, I think Wired, everybody knows Wired, at least kind of geek, semi-geeky dudes like us do. But it was touted as the rolling stones of technology, right? It was kind of cool because the 90s, you remember 80s, it was kind of you're a geek if you like technology too much. But starting in the 90s, it was kind of rock star, right? So kind of if you were a geek, you could be cool and you could be like a rock star. I don't think that's ever changed. In fact, I, I think it's gotten more that way. And I think the rock star thing happened in the 93 with the rolling stones of technology wired magazine um it won a couple awards in its first four years like uh, national magazine awards like general excellence and design i guess the executive editor kevin kelly brought a number of contribute contributors over to to it including william gibson who was on the cover the first that year on one of the on one of the magazines, so he's a science fiction author, like a probably the father of cyberpunk, um, and he actually wrote for Wired. Did you know that? I did not know that. Huh? I can see that though, in kind of a way, it makes sense. Yeah, and he's on the cover, and he wrote Neuromancer because it's kind of cool. It's kind of rock star now, and William Gibson is that cool rock star cyberpunk author, right? Yeah. Interestingly, though, they didn't really spend 
at the beginning, a lot of, they didn't talk a lot about the internet. They were more about like games and cell phones and digital effects for movies, military. And they even talked about like Japanese otaku culture and, and that, but they did talk about online dating, but at first they didn't really talk about the internet. I, I think maybe they were like, eh, we're not really on the internet yet. So let's not talk about it so much. <laughs> yeah. Another interesting fact, this was the first magazine to list email addresses uh, of their authors and contributors, which back then was a big deal. They're like, Ooh, email address. What's that? Right. Cause it's 93. You're like, what? Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And then they tried to go IPO. Like they had a number of properties in 1996 along with the dot-com. Oh no. That. Yeah. That kind of crashed. <laughs> yeah. So then they ended up selling their shiznit to Condé Nash in, in New York. They kept their headquarters, like their editors and stuff in San Francisco, but the Condé Nash who's like this big magazine conglomerate owns them now. Wired Magazine is cool too, because a lot and people don't really read magazines all that much anymore, but Wired's still around. Mm -hmm. It's usually when I travel, I'll usually hit the magazine shop uh, before boarding a flight. And Wired is often one of the magazines that I might grab. Like there's, there's probably a handful that I'll still read now and Wired's one of them. And, and the website too. I mean, they have a lot of great stuff online that's absolutely worth reading. Yeah. So I think it's a pretty powerful property because technology is growing and that's like a magazine and website that can grow with it. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I like Wired. I'm going to read something that was written in the 1994 issue of Wired magazine by Gary Wolf. And he said about this particular item, it's charming appearance encourages users to load their own documents onto the net including caller photos, sound bites, video clips, and hypertext links to other documents. By following the links, click, and the linked document appears. You can travel through the online world along paths of whim and in into intuition. And he was talking about Mosaic, the web browser, which debuted in 1993. Ooh, that sounds amazing <laughs> i know doesn't that sound so amazing like what this is amazing hypertext links what <laughs> images what oh my God. <laughs> so uh mosaic of course was not the first web browser there were web browsers out before it but what it did is it allowed images to be placed within the same window prior to that if most browsers were just straight up text base. If you click, it had an image, it actually opened it in a different window. What Mosaic did is it actually made accessing the web user-friendly. Uh, it loaded reasonably quickly, you know, for the times, right? Uh, it was created by Mark Anderson and Eric Banya or Binya, both grad students, students at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications. That sounds smart. Located at the University of Illinois in Urbania, Champaign. They started working on it in 1992, and that was the uh, previous version. And the actual released version, which was basically version 0.5, was released on January 23rd, 1993, with version 1.0 released on April 22nd in 93. What's interesting about it, too, is it was really quite short-lived. It quickly got replaced by Netscape Navigator, which was also developed by Anderson and... Um, 
And I just said the other guy's name and now I have since forgotten it. <laughs> Banya, Binya, Anderson and Binya. Uh, they actually left and went and started a company, which was Netscape and developed the Netscape Navigator browser, which that's that was my introduction to the internet was on Netscape Navigator. Yeah, me too. To, to give you some interesting statistics on it, it was basically released in January 23rd of 1993, and it was more or less dead January 7th, 1997. So literally roughly four-year lifespan of this one product that had basically changed the internet forever from the point that it was released. Wow. Like something so groundbreaking could die just so soon. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and it's amazing to me like how spoiled we are, or I think about like kids nowadays where they just go onto the internet and there's video and text and ads and all this stuff. And that to them, it's just a normal thing. But back then it was a huge deal to have like images and text and even video and links, all this stuff all together on one page. It was like, Whoa, that was high tech back then, dude. That oh, was crazy. Yeah. My uncle had it right. Cause, cause he's like an early adopting geeky uncle probably had the first subscription to wired magazine. Yeah. And I remember going to his place cause he had all the latest stuff. Right. And you could be top on the internet and like we download pictures and it didn't really take like an hour and a half to download the picture, but we back then that was fast. Yeah. But normal people didn't have this stuff. That's crazy. Mosaic. I never, I don't really remember it either. I remember Netscape Navigator. And I did, honestly, I didn't get maybe mid to late, mid mid nineties, probably, mm. I guess for me. Well, we were poor. We grew yeah. up back oh, in the Yeah. Oh yeah. It wasn't a home. It was a school kind of thing. It was a college. <laughs> the first time, <laughs> yeah. The first time I got online was in college. It was in an English class and they wanted us to like I'm pretty sure it was English class, maybe not. But anyways, we went into the computer lab in the school and the teacher actually had to explain to most of us how to actually get online, <laughs> how to set up an email account, how yeah. to actually print stuff up from the computer. Like all that oh, dang. We're old, uh, bro. Oh, totally. That was it. I was like, what? <laughs> this is cool. How does this work? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So my next one is called the, the Apple Newton debuted on August 3rd, 1993. Uh, these don't exist anymore, but it was a PDA or a personal digital assistant. And in fact, they coined, the term was coined specifically for the Apple Newton. So they, they actually started using the word to refer to the Newton personal digital assistant. Now, what what is this, kids? A PDA is like, so back then you had phones, and you might do some limited texting, maybe some limited gaming, but basically it called. And, and then you had PDAs, which were had a lot of other things that the phone didn't have, right? They were two separate things. Back then, we had different devices for things, right? So it might have your calendar and all of this kind of stuff to help you kind of keep track of your day um, and keep track of your life. Because only like kind of successful people had them because they were really expensive. So they weren't very ubiquitous, but this, the Apple Newton was the first to feature handwriting recognition. So it had a little stylus and it had a touch screen, but you had to use the stylus, but you, you could write things and feasibly it would, um, it would, it would understand your, your handwriting. Right. 
So it was really high tech for the time. And, and even other companies who tried to make PDAs back then, Apple would say, hey, you can still use our OS. Like that, I don't think they do that now, but that it was on a Newton OS. So it was like a PDA OS, right? <laughs> An operating system for PDAs. Just kids. for the PDA. Yeah, they did. Um, and you could even hook up like to a keyboard and you could like hook up memory cards to it. But it didn't... And, and, it was competing with the Palm Pilot, if you remember the Palm Pilot. I remember the Palm Pilot. See, that's the thing. I yeah. don't, don't remember this, the Apple one at all, but I do remember the Palm Pilot. I didn't, of course, so didn't have it was one, a competitor for the Palm Pilot. Yeah. Um, but the sales were kind of low for, for two reasons. One, it, it was really high tech for its time, but it was kind of, it was pretty expensive. Like doctors had them because they could like, they made money, they could afford it. Businessmen might have them look cool, but other, normal people are like, oh, that's pretty spendy for something. I don't know what it really does. Moreover, the, the handwriting was pretty flaky, right? So it's <laughs> kind of like our voice technology today. It's getting better, but it started out kind of flaky. So <laughs> it, it was like in 93, it wasn't really ready. It was actually parodied in The Simpsons. So in an episode of <laughs> The Simpsons called Lisa on Ice, they make fun of, of it and they they try to look, do the PDA handwriting, beat up Martin, and it comes out, eat up Martha. <laughs> and then Doonesbury made fun of it too in their, in their comic strip. In the comic strip, he's trying to write catching on and it comes out egg freckles. And Apple even gave Gary Trudeau, the creator of Doonesbury, they gave him... Um, they gave him an Apple Newton too, as kind of a, Hey, you're joking, but here you go. Here's piece of peace offering, bro. <laughs> but it started to get better. But by that time, just sales weren't great. And it, just, it was still not like super ubiquitous, but Steve Jobs returned to Apple in 97. Remember that where the, do, they kicked him yeah. out because he's kind of an asshole, but they're like, oh, we actually need this guy back. But then the company went downhill and they're like, oh, shit. Yeah. So one back. of the first things Steve Jobs did, he's, he's like, cool, we got a lot of technology from this, but I'm killing this right now. And he took a lot of the relevant technologies from the Apple Newton to create something that you might be familiar with, kids. It's called the iPhone and the iPad. This this was kind of the precursor to to the iPhone and the iPad and then the you know Samsung stuff that you see today, but that's the Apple Newton came out in 1993. PDAs, kids, <laughs> yeah, PDAs. <laughs> well, from PDA to PDF, imagine being able to send full text and graphic documents such as newspaper, magazine articles, technical manuals over electronic mail distribution networks. These documents could be viewed on any machine and selected document could be printed locally. That of course is a description of the PDF by the creator of the PDF, John Warnack, who of course worked for Adobe. It was introduced at the Windows and OS 2 conference, January of 1993. It was, of course, a proprietary format until it was released open standard in 2008, which is why, of course, it's so prevalent nowadays because of that open standard aspect oh. of it. Yeah, so the first version of it, which was released in 93, like I said, you could do text, 
You could do timid images. You could do pages. You could do hypertext. You could do bookmarks. You could do thumbnail sketches. So you could do a lot in one document that you could then kind of organize it and print it out. Although you couldn't do external hyperlinks with that um, first version, but I mean, the internet wasn't really as much of a thing. Adobe's and John's idea around this was, could we potentially create a paperless office? Could we do documents on our internal computer systems, share those documents with others via these fancy computer systems. And so we don't have notepads, we don't have printouts, we don't have all of this paper and uh, yeah, the Adobe PDF. Yeah. Wow. So that came out in 93 and nowadays like PDF to me seems kind of like a legal, like legal thing. Like you can actually like sign PDFs online and then they're actually, I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think they're like legally binding if they're a PDF or something like that, or if they're signed through Adobe's system or something. Yeah, you can. So they've got different ways of doing it, but you can sign documents online now. And then PDFs are also kind of cool because you might send people a Word doc, but it it looks like a word processor still. Even if you lock it, it's still like, oh, this is pretty word processy. But if you send a PDF, it's like, this is the document, like... Even it doesn't even look like you can edit this PDF, right? Yeah. So still a relevant thing today, mm-hmm. even though you'd think it wouldn't be, you'd think all oh, it's just mimics paper. But I think that's why it's still relevant today is because it does mimic paper. It's like, this is super official and this is printable. Yeah. Like if you need it, it, they tried to get rid of paper, but instead they probably created more paper with it later because they people did. actually they want did, to actually. print it. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. want to print PDFs. That's cool. That's cool. I like that one. I, I like how we went from PDA to PDF. And then you totally <laughs> said going from PDA to PDF. I was like, oh, he here's a beautiful a transition. transition for you, Jamie. <laughs> and we didn't even plan that. No, we did not. Oh, that's badass. Anyway, another something else that's badass is the Intel Pentium processor. The Intel Pentium chip came out March 22nd, 1993. Now, I don't know a lot about like chips and stuff. So you researched this and, and my eyes started to like glaze. I'm like, whoa. But he, here's a few things about it that I could get. <laughs> <laughs> So it's the like first uh, technical term, technical term, bunch of numbers, bunch of numbers. Technical oh, yeah. Term. I was like, like okay, yeah, that makes sense. All yeah. I know is it makes computers go fast and it's badass. So it's the first CPU in, in the Pentium brand. So CPU, the central processing unit, this is the thing that makes your computer go at its core, right? And it's the first super scholar microprocessor to be mass produced, so super scalar or scalar implements instruction level parallelism with a single processor. That's so I don't cool. actually, I, it sounds pretty badass. I don't know what it means, but it's, but it sounds super cool. Some of the, uh, so for both servers and workstations, um, a number of these uh, features improve performance, security, encryption, multi-processing. Like, so it had this dual integer pipelines, faster floating point unit, wider data bus. And I don't know what any of those mean, but I, I kind of get this one, separate code from data caches. So it said, hey, data's over here, code's over here. So it, that made it like 
like the encryption and the multi-processing security better, right? Makes it sound so cool. It does. And they worked really hard with like dev tool vendors and, and software like companies and OS companies, operating systems company to, they worked on this chip with those companies mm-hmm. because they wanted their chip to work on, on their computers and with their software. Um, and, and so they worked really hard. So I guess really this little chip started doing a lot of things that like a giant IBM mainframe would do, but only a little chip. Right. So Again, I, I think we, we think about software and, and all this kind of uh, GUIs and all this stuff, but behind all that are these little chips, man. And without these little chips, none of that would, would go. So even though I don't understand too much about these little chips, I think they're badass because they're small little chips that make big things and make a lot of things go. And I think the Intel Pentium is pretty sweet. They make our world work. Yeah. Do you remember? I was from Portland too, and we had the big Intel plant. Um, oh, did you? Of us in Hillsboro. Sometimes you'd meet someone who works there, and you'd, they're like, oh, blah, blah. they talk all this stuff. You're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but that sounds badass. Sounds smart. <laughs> did you know Weird Al Yankovic did a parody song? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> like in the office, all about the Pentium, baby. That's the one. Yep. All about the Pentium. So it's so like obscure and geeky, but at the same time, it's super badass. All right. Well, here's something that's not obscure, not abstract, and everybody hates it. And it's called online ads. Yay. We can thank (laughs) um, Global Network Navigator Web Portal, uh, which was created by a guy. uh, I didn't catch his first name, but his last, uh, John O'Reilly. Was that a John O'Reilly? Well, whatever. It's basically the company's O'Reilly and Associates, O'Reilly Media, and they had a web page called Global Networks Navigator Web, and they had the first ad on it. So the first banner ad actually came out in 94, but this was the first like you know placement ad that somebody actually paid for to say, hey, click on my ad and go to my website. So yeah, thanks, O'Reilly. <laughs> Because now we're so, the thing, we're so used to ads. Every website you go to, everywhere you go on the internet, there's ads everywhere. Yeah, this was, the, this was started by them. And, you know, it would have happened anyways, you know, but, um, but uh, this is the guy that we can thank for the first one. I would never have thought it was that early, though. 93 seems really early for online advertising to be invented. That's kind of my thought around it too. I mean, we just talked about Mosaic, the first pretty much usable web browser came out and it's yeah. like, oh, well, that's out. Well, here, how can we monetize this? I know. <laughs> well, you know, so it's gonna say, how can I get some money? From <laughs> how can I make money off my website? I know. I'll put some ads on there and people can pay. Wow. And yeah, now you see them everywhere. They're so annoying, like pop-ups and all this crazy that's kind of brilliant though. I mean, he was really ahead of it with that. Yeah. And to be able to be in like right at the start of it uh, and, um, and, and put that on there. So it is kind of, Oh, Tim O'Reilly. That was his name. Tim O'Reilly. Tim O'Reilly. Tim O'Reilly. I, every time I say O'Reilly, I want to like sing the O'Reilly auto parts. Oh, theme song. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Auto, auto parts. parts. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But I wonder what his company is up to nowadays. Do you know? They were bought out. So basically what happened was GNN was launched in 93, O'Reilly Media, then became O'Reilly and Associates. And then in 95, it was sold to AOL. 
which then turned it into uh, basically part of AOL's company and AOL is now owned by Verizon. So basically the parts of, of GNN were incorporated into AOL, disbanded, wow. and then um, and then incorporated into Verizon. Wow. Everything absorbed by the, by the man. Yeah. But I'm sure he got a nice paycheck when he sold it. Yeah, I'm sure he's AOL. okay. So my last one here is Microsoft Windows NT, which debuted in 1993. NT standing for New Technology. July 27th, 1993, NT 3.1 came out. So this was actually a commercial version of Windows to complement. They had like a consumer version that was based on MS-DOS. But this NT gradually became the general purpose OS for all PCs and displaced like the, the former Windows NX or 9X family that was running before. So even though this was more for commercial use, it gradually became like the standard for all Windows. A fact about Windows NT, it's the first purely 32-bit version of Windows. You know, before that, it was a 32 16-bit hybrids. So this is the first 100% 32-bit version of Windows. And I'll just list off a few features. Some of them you might actually know. Okay. And then some of them I don't know. But some of the new features, uh, Windows Shell, Windows API, Native API, Active Directory, uh, Group Policy, NTFS, know that name? BitLocker, uh, Windows Store, uh, Windows Update, and Hyper-V, just to name some of the features that came out with Windows NT. But this was kind of the... I don't know, new generation windows, the, the windows that kind of would become like its core would become the standard later. Everybody talks about windows 95, which was a big deal in the nineties. And people kind of forget a little bit about windows NT. All right. For my last one, I'm going to talk first person shooters. So we had Wolfenstein 3d, but then we had doom, which came out in 1993. So it was a first person shooter and it was trend setting. I remember playing doom and thinking it was the shiz nizzle. So uh, basically it was this first person 3d shooter. One of the early ones you go on around and you're shooting these things. And um, to get it, you had to get, you had to order a disc which came in the mail that you would then put on your computer. Yeah. And it was real basic. You use your little keys to move around and then shoot and, you know, change your weapon and stuff. But um, yeah, it, the, so a couple of interesting facts is that they developed a 3D game engine for this game called the Doom Engine, uh, which was re at the time really considered 3D, amazing 3D graphics, doing textured mapping, variable lighting, all of this kind of cool stuff that we take for granted now. This was yes. kind of the start of that. It, it's had so many versions that come out since. I actually was trying look, looking and trying to figure out the actual total number, but it's kind of hard to tell what the total number is because it's like you've got rebooted editions and redone and all this other stuff. And it's like, I don't really know. I'm sure some doom super doom head. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Doom head, whatever you would call it would know. I just made that up. Sounds good though. <laughs> it does sound good. And I think that's probably an accurate way of saying of like how many versions of doom there are out there. Yeah. The thing about it was though, is really was quite a cool game that people didn't, you know, before then we had our game systems, our Nintendos and our Segas and stuff like that. But this was the really first kind of cool 3D integrated 
PC game that according to Wikipedia, there was an estimated 15 to 20 million people within two years of the game's release that had it. Uh, so that's, that's a lot, a lot to be bought via ordered in the mail, not actually going down to your video game store and buying it. Yeah. I remember it was a little bit controversial too, because it had kind of the blood and gore um, when you were shooting up aliens or whatever you were doing, going through, it was kind of scary and, and dark and, and blood and parents, you know, back then were like, Oh, this was kind of scary and bloody. I mean, by today's standards, it's like pretty tame, but it was a cool game. Great graphics, kind of very 3D. That was the thing. It was the 3D yeah. graphics. That Textured made. stuff and shadows, like you were saying. Back then, that was the shiznizzle. Oh, yeah. it totally was. Totally. Uh, it, and you hit on it right, too, with the, graph, the, the, the violence as well. Like nowadays, it's that's nothing. But prior to that, there really wasn't that type of graphic violence in a video game as well. And it also includes like, I think there was um, a level that had like a swastika on it or something like that. There was some satanic industry, um, yeah. that kind of stuff that also yeah, it was parents, yeah, it was pissing parents off. We, we have not, cause I had the satanic panic parent going on. Um, <laughs> um, so we often had to go just play at our friend's house as we were playing like records backwards or doing whatever else we weren't supposed to be doing back then, but playing backwards <laughs> records while you're playing doom, we're playing doom. <laughs> yes. Look pretty much any list of top 100 games of all time. This is on there somewhere often in the top 10, even. Yeah, it was pretty groundbreaking. Let's wrap it up. And we are out of here like the mosaic web browser only here for a very, very short time but leaving an impression that lasts forever.